1: G'day, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Perro Columnist for StockEd. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers Podcast. We're catching up today with Tony Suricic, Managing Director and CEO of Salt Lake Potash. It's listed under the rather cool code of SO4. The company's trading at 83.5 cents for an undiluted market cap of about $210 million. Salt Lake has been a strong performer on the market with its share price doubling in the last 12 months. That strong performance reflects investors warming to the key role fertilisers play in the need to feed the world thematic, as well as the company's rapid move through the various gateways needed for it to become a sulphate of potash producer from Salt Lake's in WA's Northern Goldfields. Now, that's a good point to say good day to Tony and welcome him to the show.
0: Hi, Barry. Thanks for the opportunity. Cool.
1: Now, Tony, before diving into the company and its SOP plans... Can I get you to give us a bit of a background on how you got started in the resources game
0: and your professional career today? Yeah, sure can. It's been a uh, I've had a quite a confusing journey through uh, my career. I've, I've sort of dabbled in many different industries and uh, quite a few commodities. I've I've spent a bit of time in ports uh, with bulk shipping. Uh, I've spent, well, I think five or six years in steelworks and in South Australia and probably a healthy 15 years in mining. So I come with a, a very diverse background that uh, covers many industry and many different commodities and, and probably know just a, enough about a lot of little things to get in trouble.
1: Right, Now, you did very well there, uh, not to mention your, I think it was nine years with Fortescue during that uh, stellar career phase, uh, growth phase they had. Um, is it correct you were GM of uh, Christmas Creek when it, uh, you took it from a, uh, up to 60 million tonnes in a, over about a two-year period?
0: Yeah, it's correct, Barry. It was uh, directly prior to Salt Lake Potash. I was uh, with nine years with Fortescue, uh, and it was an incredible journey, as everyone knows. Um, you know, we did remarkable things and and achieve, achieve fantastic outcomes. I spent the first two and a half years in Port Hedland, uh, general manager of the port, uh, growing that there to, to about a sixty million tonne per annum port, and then was uh, was launched out to Christmas Creek to uh, to get that off the ground and up and running, and was always set the uh, the target there of a a 60 million ton run rate in 12 months and I always joke that uh, myself and the team failed we did did it in about 18 months so uh, we got that up and running and uh, I've spent about five and a half years at Christmas Creek uh, ramping it up uh, basically commissioning the site to its full run rate and then then as we all know optimizing and driving those costs down uh, radically over the last few years there And then uh, I moved into business development in the last 18 months of my nine years in Fortescue and uh, had the opportunity to uh, move out of high-vis and uh, get into the uh, more corporate executive role uh, as I had the title of Director of Business Development uh, and Exploration in Fortescue and we were scouring the world looking for all of those uh, great next diversification opportunities for that company.
1: Right, okay. Uh, Fortescue obviously has a well-deserved can-do reputation. I was just wondering what lessons you uh, have brought to uh, the new company uh, based on your uh, what you learned at uh, FMG?
0: Well, that is a very critical point. And um, one of the main differentiators, I believe, for SO4 is the people uh, that we have and, uh, and the culture that we bring. And when I say we, it is a very healthy uh, nucleus of people that have come from that immediate past life that have... Uh, joined me again, if you like, get the band back together to uh, come and recreate what we did uh, over that last decade in a different commodity. We'll do that now again uh, in Potash, in SOP. And uh, so that is a very key differentiator. Uh, as we joke, um, you know, we're going to sort of leave all of the, uh, the uglies and the baddies behind and we'll bring all of those good learnings that we uh, are entrenched in our everyday behaviour, our speech, our values, our culture, and we're going to bring those forward and accelerate those or try to accelerate those um, again in, in this journey now.
1: All right. And just on uh, FMG again, can I ask uh, what made you move on?
0: <laughs> oh, look, I mean, I've done nine years. It was a long time in, in a single commodity. Um, and, I, you know, everyone has their own little coaches and mentors out there, and I was sort of getting counsel, and, and it was a good opportunity. Um, the, the, the CEO, previous CEO, left in February last year, um, there was a, a reasonable change in that executive. I was on the executive um, and I just decided it was a nice time to step out. Um, and it was a good time of the year. I, I did my gardening leave from April till October uh, last year. Had a, had a fantastic time there and, and uh, was, you know, had, had a, a lot of opportunities came my way through that period. And I spent a lot of time um, in that six-month window sort of moving around on the East Coast and particularly through West Perth, myself and a few other people. Um, you know, just trawling through opportunities that we wanted to commit to next. So we always had a, a firm view on what we wanted to do. We did want to go and create. We wanted to build and we wanted to continue the success that we had shared in that last nine years. We wanted to take that elsewhere and, and do it again and do it better. And uh, we've all landed at Salt Lake Potash.
1: Right. Okay, Tony, it might be a good idea now to get you to give listeners a feel about the sulphate of potash market, uh, its position in the fertiliser market and why it's an attractive commodity to uh, get cracking in.
0: Sure. It's a very good question because, uh, you know, people do mix up the different types of fertilisers. Sulfate of potash um, sits alongside another potash product called muriate of potash. Um, and everyone reverts to the three letter acronyms as we all do these days. So it's SOP and MOP. Now they're very different products. Um, They have very different markets and very different customers. Um, The the larger market is the muriate of potash, the MOP. uh, And that is a KCL product, potassium chloride. And uh, that product is used by farmers uh, on chloride tolerant crops. So you think of broad acre farming, wheat, barley, sorghum, sugarcane, um, crops that can actually handle the chloride. Uh, and how I generally put it is that anything that, that needs to look good and, and or taste good can't have chlorides. So that's where sulfate of potash uh, or potassium sulfate comes into play. Uh, you start thinking about fruit, veggies, nuts, citrus, avocado, spinach, cotton, flowers, and anything that needs to look and taste good um, can't have those chlorides. So the muriate of potash or MOP market is about seventy-seven zero million million tonnes per annum. It's a very big market. And the sulphate of potash SOP market globally is about seven million tonnes per annum. So that's the market that we're playing in. Uh, it's a, it's a, I call it a higher grade. It obviously has no chlorides. It's not destructive to soil. Uh, it doesn't degrade um, yields as well. Um, the effects the chlorides have on those uh, farms and crops and uh, so what attracted me to this, it, it's completely new. I mean, I come from a commodity mining background, as does basically the whole team. Um, there is no potash production in Australia, uh, and hence Western Australia. So it's a first for the country, a first for the state in terms of an industry. And it's a, it's a new, I'll call it commodity for all of us. So uh, it's quite exciting. And uh, the thematics that go with it uh, are, are nice. It, uh, you know, it's it's a feed the world. It's a growing population. Uh, it's a brine Um, hence renewable energy evaporation process, Um, how the the process for this SOP in in Western Australia with Salt Lake Potash is going to occur. Um, And that is important because more than 50% of the the global SOP production uh, comes from a secondary refining process called the Mannheim process. It's it's upwards of 60%. And uh, predominantly, that's uh, done in China, Germany and Belgium. And it's quite a nasty process where they take the KCL MOP, a unit of that, and they introduce a unit of sulfuric acid, lots of energy, lots of heat refining it. And the outputs are basically a unit of SOP and hydrochloric acid. So lots of input costs, lots of energy costs, and then lots of disposal costs and challenges with the hydrochloric acid. So that very costly, very environmentally unfriendly Mannheim process that speaks for about 60% of the global SOP does set a very robust cost curve floor. And that's upwards of around that $400 US a tonne, um, the cost to actually produce that SOP product. And, you know, that's that's upwards of 60% of the market where compared to all of the brine producers, and, and I mean all of them, uh, the current ones and the pending ones, will sit in the lowest cost quartile. Um, around that 200 to 250 US dollar a tonne mark. So it's a nice place to be um, from a thematic, um, from a location, from a product quality, which I can talk more about soon, and also from a cost uh, curve position as well.
1: Mm. Given all that, I take it uh, SOP trades at a premium to mop?
0: Yeah, generally, I think the last five years, um, the spread between SOP and MOP has averaged uh, just over 260 US dollars a ton as a premium.
1: Right. Okay. Uh, you uh, released a scoping study back in June, pointed to a I think 200,000 tons per annum uh, production of SOP um, over an initial 20-year project with a I think a payback of 3.2 years and a capital cost of 237 million dollars. Uh, you you're in the process of uh, completing a DFS into the project.
0: That's correct, Barry. Uh, that is correct. We're just weeks away from that. Uh, we've been guiding the market that that's a Q three uh, release, and as anyone knows, Q three is rushing to an end, and uh, we're on schedule for that sort of that week, roughly around that Q three end. Mm. Uh, for we're calling it a BFS, but DFS, correct? Uh, the scoping study was good. It was very robust, as you ra- read the numbers there. It's a you know two thirty seven million Aussie capex, three point two year payback. I think post tax NPV was about three hundred and eighty. One million Aussie dollars and uh, a post-tax IRR of twenty-seven percent. So pretty robust economics. Mm.
1: Should uh, investors be looking for substantial changes in the DFS from those scoping study figures, or is it best just to wait for the DFS?
0: Ah, uh, look, I'd rather not say. I'd rather they wait. Um, at uh, what I will say at this point in time is uh, it, it's going well. It's looking good.
1: Right. Now the scoping study pointed to a FAB operating cost of two sixty-four Australian a ton. Um, how does that keep compare with current SOP prices and long-run uh, price expectations?
0: Well, I'll, I'll swing that to US because the, you know, the global market loves the American dollar. Um, so that's a 185 uh, US roughly on a 70-cent on a exchange rate. So that 185 FOB um, at Geraldton uh, compares with a, uh, a SOP market revenue realisation roughly of 450 to 650 US dollars a tonne. Now, that's a good, a good talking topic, this, because it's a very big spread uh, in sales price depending on location and quality. So, the lower end of that uh, market around that $450 US dollars a tonne is, is predominantly Chinese material. Uh, and then the top end of that uh, spread of $650 uh, US dollars a tonne is in North America. Um, so, sort of Compass Minerals leads that up there with the citrus and the, uh, the nuts. Uh, and then supplies a water-soluble organic product up up there. So where are we targeting? Um, We've only just released this morning uh, an ASX announcement on our pilot plant um, batch runs that we've just completed in Saskatoon, and the results are are quite overwhelming. Um, They surprised us uh, in the positive sense. Um, We've we've basically pilot plant produced extremely high-grade K2O or potassium, uh, extremely low-grade chloride, almost to the point where it's non-existent, and uh, the level of insolubles, which defines solubility, uh, are very, very low. So what these uh, pilot test results are indicating is that we've got a premium high grade sock product that's water soluble. So that potentially positions us right at the high end of the premium market. Um, In our scoping study, we used a 550 uh, US dollar a ton revenue, uh, and we justified that as a 500 uh, plus a $50 premium. And we don't know what that premium is going to be and where it's going to come from uh, because depending on what market and what country you deal with in the world, they acknowledge and value premiums differently. Some are 25 kilo bags, some are water soluble, some are for the low chlorides, some are a granular form, some are an organic stamp. So there's lots of different premiums. Uh, And we're not being silly saying we're going to cumulatively chase all these premiums, but we know we will get... We will get some. It could be made in Australia. Branding. Some countries really are attracted to that. Some don't value it at all.
1: Mm. Uh, given that that spread, um, now we've seen in, say, in the uh, lithium market, when you sometimes when you get uh, sizable new production coming in, you can get price dislocation for a period. Do you expect? Because uh, your project is not the only one on uh, looking to get into production in uh, WA. I was just wondering what your thoughts are on this. Uh, Potential for new production out of WA to cause some dislocation as we move forward.
0: Yeah, we're very sensitive to that, um, and we will manage that. So, if you look at the average of all the analysts' um, outputs, they're predicting a CAGR overall or compounded average uh, growth overall of about two to three uh, percent in the SOP market. Um, the standard is around that sort of two percent, and the water soluble CAGR is between 5 and 8%, depending on who you listen to. So we'll, let's take a 3%, you know, in that 7 million tonne market. So it's roughly a 200,000 tonne project coming online every year. So that's where we are. Uh, there are a couple of others, but we're very confident the market demand growth, and I believe it is conservative growth, uh, can quite easily handle uh, the current and the pending supply that's coming in. Uh, we, we, have, we haven't spoken about the portfolio um, of lakes that, Um, Sulfate potash has, sorry, Salt Lake uh, potash has, but uh, we've got nine lakes uh, through the Northern Goldfields, and our first project is on Lake Number One. So we have, you know, a large lever. Once we get the project up and running at Lake Way, you know, we've finished construction, we've commissioned, we've optimised production to go and cookie cutter um, those methodologies across other lakes as the market can take it. So that's one of the big attractions uh, for SO Four.
1: Uh, can I get you to explain some of the reasons why your costs are so low? I presume it's got something to do with the infrastructure available in that northern goldfields region.
0: Yeah, sure. So it is, you know, in the early days before my time, uh, we were focused on Lake Wells, which is north of Laverton. Uh, that's a shared lake with Australian potash and uh, have since in the last couple of years moved strategy very quickly and very smartly over to Lake Way, Uh after a deal uh, was struck with blackened Resources to move forward on their ML. And I'll talk a bit more about that soon. Uh, and that landed us uh, SO4 over at Lake Way and very opportunistically smothered in infrastructure, basically. So you've got immediately 500 metres uh, to the west of our planned plant site and a couple of kilometres west of the actual lake proper is the Goldfields Highway. Uh, directly on the eastern edge of the lake is the, uh, the Goldfields Gas Line. Uh, immediately on the north edge of the lake is the Waluna estrip. And then, of course, the Township township's about 10 kilometres north of the lake. So it's smothered in in favourable infrastructure support, which is helping us with our fast pathway um, on this project to market. We also um, basically, as I touched on the agreement with Black and Resources, and we've since moved forward on that agreement with a transaction with them to... uh, acquire the tenements and uh, acquire process water, which is another huge tick in the uh, the fast project pathway. And that working on their MLs over the last sort of eight months has allowed us to construct basically 125 hectares of evaporation ponds. And we have brine from the dewatering of one of their pits already filled in those ponds now sitting under the sun, cooking harvest salts. Um, so that's, again, another fast project pathway tick because those harvest salts will fall out through this summer and that is basically plant feed commissioning uh, for the end of next year. So we've de-risked that uh, that harvest salt plant feed for the, the commissioning.
1: Right. So in, in essence, uh, production has kind of started already.
0: Well, it has. It's a funny project. That's what I joke about. We're we're operating and constructing. So we're actually in operations now. We've, as I said, we've got 125 hectares of solar evaporation ponds. You know, with a 500 millimeters brine. Depth sitting in there now, we've got, you know, 100 millimetres of pavement, salt's already fallen out. Um, It's a a proper solar brine evaporation operation up there now. Um, We're about planning to start uh, stage two. So that's stage one that I just spoke about. Stage two, uh, we're just uh, waiting on final approvals to come in uh, for that and we'll commence uh, the plan at the moment is November this year, November, December, January, February, and that will uh, then be constructing 700 hectares of evaporation ponds and uh, about 30 kilometres worth of trenches. So uh, we'll be hitting the civil works, um, you know, with a vengeance this uh, summer period to get more brine under the summer sun.
1: Mm. Um, Given your time at FMG, where you are dealing with big numbers and lots of employees, I was just wondering, with this business, what is it a case of prepare the ponds, get the deck chairs out and watch the salt grow? Or is there
0: a bit more (laughs) to it than that? Uh, yeah, the joke is I just have to take a couple of zeros off everything. Yeah, um, yeah so it's, uh, look, it's a cute project. It's a lot of fun. It's in the backyard and it is a transport logistics play. Yeah. Um, you know, everything we're building is what I term fixed infrastructure. So, you know, bores, trenches, evaporation, ponds, they don't move uh, once they're built. Um, and there's, you know, there's pumps and canals and, and, and piping. And so it is, it's not, not exactly a deck chair scenario, but uh, it's certainly, um, you know, an investment in CapEx up front and then it's what I would term a, a, a very efficient, you know, fixed infrastructure operation then to just, you know, safely, efficiently and sustainably extract that brine into the ponds, let the uh, the greatest energy source of our planet do its job and uh, evaporate. And then we uh, harvest salts and feed those salts into quite a simple plant uh, and then on the highway to Gerald. Mm. Okay.
1: Now, with the uh, the BFS uh about to uh, hit the uh, ASX platform. Uh, that will give us a feel obviously on the timing of the project. So if all goes well, first production would, could be possible by when?
0: Look, we've been guiding the same timing now since I started, you know, the small group of us that joined in November last year, we did the uh, the pub coaster, the napkin sort of schedule out there. And funny enough, 10, 11 months later, that schedule still holding. And uh, we've always been guiding that we want to be uh, wet commissioning in December. Uh, 2020, Mm -hmm. and then ramp up 2021. So uh, that, as I sit here today, that schedule is still holding.
1: Right, Uh, finance, what's the uh, project financing? What's the story there?
0: Yep, so that was a good news story. Um, Very early in the piece, uh, we knew that uh, conventional Bank uh, financing was going to be very difficult to satisfy our project timetable. So we very quickly moved our attention over to the uh, more non-traditional, unconventional finance uh, and and discussions with those funders, and in particular, the debt funders. And so we sort of went through a process of talking with several of those, and we shortlisted down to two. And uh, as per the announcement there, a couple of months ago, we have um, a relationship with Taurus and, uh, and and Taurus um, it, it speaks volumes to the quality of the project, the quality of the management The Taurus have come in at such an early uh, phase and provided us with a two stage funding. So the first is a thirty million US dollar uh, stage one funding, which we already have access to, and uh, after we satisfy a couple of CPs, um, we will then be moving forward with a much larger facility, a one hundred and fifty US million dollar facility provided by Taurus.
1: Right, so no need to go back to shareholders at all?
0: Well, I mean, that's a. Never say never. I mean, I'm very honest in that space. Um, When we did the Taurus announcement, you throw that into Aussie dollars, it's about 220, 225 million Aussie dollars. Uh, We had $28 million Aussie in equity sitting there, so it's a 240, 245 million uh, Aussie dollar package of money uh, against a scoping study of 237. Um, of course, there's other sort of things that need to be considered in there, you know, reserve accounts, working capital. So, you know, I wouldn't say we'll never go back out there again, but it's certainly not going to be for vast amounts um, at the moment. So my advice is if, if people want to get in, it's, it's get on market and get in now.
1: Mm, uh, most unusual to, to be more or less fully financed. Right? <laughs> it is. The Australian market's uh, developing a deeper understanding of the uh, the beauty of SOP projects, you think?
0: Oh, look, myself and the, the, the heads of the other SOP um, companies really have a lot of educating to do. Uh, the more that we can talk about this, the better. And uh, other parts of the world, like North America, Europe, they know about SOP because there's big industry in those countries. China, it's huge. Um, in Australia, very, very few people. Uh, and as I refer to the pub test or the barbecue test, you start talking about SOP or potash and people blaze over they don't know what you're talking about so we have a lot of work in that space um you know farmers understand it so it's just really getting it to the institutions and the retail investors um not just potash but the differences in potash as i spoke about earlier and and a lot of people talk about um serious minerals for example in the uk and, and that that's a completely different product again altogether, uh, with a completely different market so it's a big education piece
1: so you're not planning a, what was it, 150 kilometre underground conveyor belt? <laughs> no, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm get gonna, product
0: to market. I'm gonna reserve comment on that one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a quite a big elephant to uh, start chewing on. No, we're not. This is a very simple project. So as I touched on, it's abstracting water through bores and open trenches. It's the sun and the sun's energy, heat evaporating, harvesting salts, putting them into a simple plant. hmm that uh, washes flotation
1: crystallizing yeah. okay well it's been great to hear about the development of a, a new industry for australia one that also comes with um, some nice import replacement uh, implications so all the best with it and thanks for spending time with us today
0: thank you very much barry it's been a pleasure.